When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everything's kind of slowed down and I felt really weird, like like everything kind of sucked out of my head or something. And uh, I had no idea what was going on. And um, I just, just kind of stopped in my tracks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little bit deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book. You can get yourself a copy of the book today by using the promo code PODCAST15 to get 15% off. You'll find that link in the show notes of the podcast. Today's guest is Scott McCoy. In the 80s and 90s, he was in the wildly beloved cult band from the Northwest, the Young Fresh Fellows. I'm not sure exactly how they reached my young ears all the way over in Syracuse, New York, but I do remember owning a copy of their album Totally Lost back in high school. He's bringing us two stories today. The first is how he became a fifth member of REM in the 1990s, and the second is how he had to rebuild his career after suffering a stroke while on tour in San Francisco. You know, it's kind of the the typical thing with with musicians and um, friendships. You know, you get to know each other, kind of meeting each other along the way. You know, because you know I'm in a band, the Young Fresh Fellows, and we're touring about for um, you know from 1985 on, uh, doing especially in the late 80s and early 90s, um, touring you know, a fair amount. Um, and we would, you know, just cross paths with people, you know, in other bands, you play with other bands and in other towns and you make friends. And so it was like that with, with Peter. Um, I actually heard that, um, that he liked our band, um, because he's a, he's a, he's a record fan, you know, and loves music. And so I, uh, one of, a a DJ I knew at um, KCMU in Seattle had said, um, yeah, this Peter, Peter Buck came in and, you know, for, cause REM was in town and, and uh, he said, oh, you know, he said, do you have the Young Fresh Fellows single or something like, I, I really like their record and uh, I want to get a copy. And so I think he got a, a copy for, for Peter or something. So anyway, you know, I knew he liked us and, um, I went to uh, 
their show one night and actually we were playing the same night so i couldn't go to crm but i went to the uh to his tour bus and you know said hey here's a record for you because i we had this crazy new record with we done with this band called the squirrels and um gave it to him and so you know we, we 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 chatted and that was great and then uh you know we toured in athens a number number of times and um he would come and see us you know at the uptown if he was around and um you know it was just a, a real cool guy music lover just like just like i was you know <laughs> so and uh we ended up i think in the early 90s we ended up spending the night at his house after playing at the at the um 40 watt and you know stayed up all night listening to big star and and uh all kinds of crazy records as as you would do and uh there could have been substances involved i i don't know i mean actually just just mainly alcohol with us because <laughs> that's what we do <laughs> that's what we did anyway and um then he came to seattle when uh they were uh, when rem was doing um automatic for the people they spent a month sort of doing the later stages of the record in seattle and uh, he called me up because you know he he knew me and and uh was hanging out for a month so he wanted somebody to you know somebody different to hang out with and uh so we started uh, going out to eat and stuff like that and going to the crocodile and all that and then uh, he ended up meeting stephanie who ran the crocodile and they ended up having a relationship and having kids and everything. And so anyway, so he ended up moving to Seattle to make a long story short. <laughs> and um, at one point, um, you know, REM was had, hadn't toured for five years and they were thinking about going back on the road. And at that point, the fellows had kind of slowed down and we weren't really doing much for a little while there. And um so he asked if I'd be interested in, you know, playing with R.E.M., being a, a, a sideman, you know. And I said, well, um, <laughs> that's a crazy thought. And and uh, he said, you know, I'm only asking you because it seems like the fellows aren't really doing much because I because I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be responsible for taking you away from your main band, you know, um, which I thought was really cool. Um and I kind of talked to the fellows about it. They were like, oh, yeah, you should go for it. And so, you know, he said, Peter said, well, you know, you have to audition. You know, I, I can't just bring you into the band on my on my say so. You know, I'd met I'd met the other guys, you know, a bit, too, but mainly um, Peter and then Mike a little bit. But um, I didn't really know Bill and Michael too well. So. Um, so they flew me down to L.A. Um, to do this little tryout. And um, it was pretty nerve wracking for me, you know, because I, 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 I'm not really, I don't really think of myself as a, as a great musician or anything, you know, I'm mainly a singer songwriter, you know, a songwriter is my main thing, really. I don't even consider myself a singer actually either, but, um, but um, you know, I, I tried to kind of get information out of them. Like, what should I, what should I do what songs should I learn and they were really I couldn't really pin them down to give me much to do and then they finally said like um oh we like maybe we'd have you play piano on world Le world leader pretend so I worked my ass off trying to trying to 
played the piano part on that, which is probably really easy, but for me, it, everything seemed really hard. And I knew they wanted somebody who could um, do guitar and keyboards and, and bass, you know, um, possibly. Um, so, cause I, I'm, I'm mediocre at, at all of those. So I figured I'm, I could be your guy, <laughs> but um, I got down there and um, I, when I, first of all, they flew me down and it was the first time I'd ever flown first class <laughs> on a plane, <laughs> which was really funny. And um, I got picked up and, you know, taken to the, I think it was probably SIR down there and rehearsing and, and, and the person who had auditioned before me was T-Bone Burnett, um, which, who I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's crazy. Why would you take, why would, I, why would they have me if they could have T-Bone Burnett and all of this? But, but anyway, I got in there. Of course, they didn't even play the one song that I really learned. <laughs> and um, they, uh, the, I think the first thing they did was spring a brand new song on me that I'd never heard. So I played guitar and it was on, um, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Because the album wasn't out yet, so I hadn't heard it or anything. And um, I picked it up really quickly and and then they had me play bass on Everybody Hurts. And I remember um, Bill Berry was really happy with me playing bass on that song. So that was a that was a good thing for me. Um, so, you know, that was it. It was like half hour, 45 minutes. And then it was they had somebody else, I think, to come in. But, you know, later that night, um, I drove around with Peter and Stephanie and we were driving around up in the up the hills and um, in LA and driving around Mulholland Drive and running into a pack of coyotes and all this stuff and listening to the the unreleased monster album and um, it was um, it was really magical night and Peter was like oh you're you're in you're in you know they they all loved you and everything and he was right so so I got the job. Um, which was pretty exciting. And then it was like a whole new world opened up for me, you know, and I went on a year, a year long tour with, uh, with REM. And that was um, a, a real experience. And then it just kind of kept going, you know, and I just sort of became a sort of a, a fifth, a fifth member or whatever, you know, a guy who um, played on the recordings and played on the records and, and uh, did all the tours for 18 years. <laughs> so that was um, definitely a real um, a real life changer for me I was out playing with two bands with Peter because it was the minus five was opening for Alejandro Escobedo and the burn something beautiful band, which was Peter and I and Linda and Kurt Block from the fellows. Um, so, and that band was doubling as the minus five. So the minus five opened the show and then we uh, back Alejandro and it was, it was so great. It was, we'd played a, We'd started up in uh, Portland and Seattle and Eugene. I think we'd done like three shows and uh, going down the coast and had a bunch of shows in California. And the shows were just going so amazing. Uh, both 
both with the Alejandro and the minus five shows were just really on fire. And we played in Novato, California um, the night before. And that was just, just amazing shows. Uh, and that was great. And we had a day off in San Francisco, which is where I'm from originally. I'm, I mean, I, from the Bay area and San Francisco is still kind of my favorite city in the world. And we got there at three o'clock in the afternoon and had a night off. So I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to blaze down to Cafe Trieste, my favorite coffee shop in the world, which is funny because I, I wasn't even drinking coffee at the time, but I had to go to Cafe Trieste and get a cappuccino anyway, because it's just such a great, great place. It's in North beach and kind of, you know, where the beatniks, the beats hung out and city lights down there and everything, you know? And so uh, about, I guess it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I, I just threw my stuff in the hotel room when we got there and I headed out by myself um, to walk to North beach. And I got pretty close there. I was in the financial district sort of right on the borderline of North beach on uh, Kearney, Kearney street. And I just sort of, um, everything's kind of slowed down and I felt, really weird like like everything kind of sucked out of my head or something and uh i had no idea what was going on and um i just just kind of stopped in my tracks i didn't collapse immediately i just uh kind of hung on grabbed onto a, a scaffold that was in front of the building that was being worked on and um i thought well, I'm just going to wait here for a second and this will clear up and then I'll keep going. And I, I was hanging there and I don't know how long it took. It kind of time seemed like it stopped and I thought if I can make it to the corner, I'll be fine. And I started trying to move along the scaffold and, and it wasn't working. And then my legs kind of stopped working and I kind of slid down and uh, just, it seemed feel like I'd been there for a half hour or 40 minutes or something, but who knows, it could have been five minutes. I don't have any idea. And I, so I was kind of ended up on the ground and, uh, you know, kind of half in the street and half on the curb and just lying there. And um, people were kind of stepping over me, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's San Francisco and I was really close to the Tenderloin and there's a lot of, really down and out messed up people um there and uh and um so after a while somebody stopped and to see if i was okay and i couldn't i couldn't talk um and uh so they 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 one person called and then another person came and uh they ended up calling the uh calling an ambulance and uh ambulance came and uh, got me and I, I wasn't able to wasn't able to thank them or anything um, but um, I do I was conscious the whole time but I couldn't I couldn't talk um, or communicate at all or move um, so uh, I remember being in the in the um, ambulance and driving up the hill it was a beautiful day in San Francisco and I could look out the back of the ambulance and see the street uh the the city stretching out below me and i wasn't really worried or i wasn't in pain at all um it was it was kind of peaceful in a weird way but i don't 
I, I, I didn't really know what was happening, you know, but, um, but like I said, I was totally conscious. And then I got to the hospital and I, I kind of lost it at, at times. And I don't really, I was in and out of consciousness there for a long time. And um, it turned out I was there for about 24 hours and uh, they, the doctor refused to administer me a, um, a, a MR, MRI, MRI, that's the word. Um, because he just assumed that I was, a, um, a, you know, a, a drug, drugged out or drunken, um, you know, guy from, from the tenderloin. So, um, but eventually they finally got in touch with, um, with Linda because, uh, she was the last person I talked to on my phone and they, they dialed her on the, on the uh, phone and, uh, she thought it was me, so she answered, and uh, they they told her that I was in the hospital, and so she and Peter um, showed up there at some point, but I didn't really remember seeing them or anything, and they got in touch with my wife, uh, Mary, who was at a Blazers game, basketball game um, that night when they got a hold of her, and she, she took off and flew down, and... Um, you know, eventually the next day, um, Peter got really um, agitated with the doctor because they wouldn't, they, 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 they could pretty much figure out it was a stroke because I was paralyzed, you know, and, and, uh, and so they got me transferred to a, um, a, a stroke center um, in San Francisco, a, a different place that was, that was amazing, and um, they had me in um, um, what's the I C I C U um, for um, I think ten days or something, um, and they had to they did this really risky thing where they they had to raise my blood pressure to like one ninety or something, some crazy, really un unhealthy dangerous level but they had to do it to to um try to get the blood going back into my brain and um to flush the rest of the clot out um which it did do and um probably save save my life and um you know so that was that was kind of the <laughs> The, the happening, how it happened. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of started remembering, I, I was still really out of it when I was in the ICU there for, for a few days, probably the first three days, I was pretty out of it. And, uh, and then I kind of started figuring out what, where I was and, but I couldn't, couldn't talk. I couldn't understand what people were saying. Um, and the, the, the language was, it was, it was the center of my, in my brain where the where language happens is is where the stroke was so i i couldn't um couldn't talk or understand and and when i finally could sort of starting to talk and could hear people saying things i wasn't hearing what they were saying and i wasn't saying what i was saying <laughs> so they finally started making me write things down and i kind of realized that there was a, a real big gap in between what i was hearing and saying and what was actually coming out or and going in. 
Um, so I've learned a lot about the brain since then, and it's a very odd thing. But um, you know, the, the the gist of it was that the, that part of my brain was dead, and it, it doesn't come back. You know, um, but the brain is such an amazing thing that it it figures out ways to um, to adapt and get around it, and uh, it forges new new paths of, of nerves and stuff like that. So, so um, eventually I started getting um, speech back, you know, and uh, when I was able to, within a few days after when I was in the, in, still in the ICU, I started writing, writing things down because I had a notebook with me when I was, when I, when I fell down on the, when I was walking to the coffee shop. And uh, so I started writing words down and tried to, trying to write poems and songs um, pretty much immediately, like probably three days, three or four days after the stroke. And, and uh, it was kind of all gibberish, but, um, but those turned into the songs that became um, my Stroke Manor album that I did at home after I, I got back to, to Portland, which was like three, I was I spent three weeks at the hospital in San Francisco and I was doing lots of therapy and uh, trying to come out of it. And uh, it's been a, it's been a long uh, stretch back since then. And, uh, you know, I, I'm doing really well. I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I can talk. Um, I can, understand things um not nearly as well at either of those as i as i could have before but you know i can't complain because you know man i'm here i'm functioning so so um it's been it that's really it's it's totally uh, changed changed my world but i will say it's it's um taught me some really good things too well, i remember the first thing i played when it was probably you know a month after the after the um, stroke that I, I got my guitar and, you know, I, I discovered really quickly, Peter, Peter, when I was still in the ICU had, had brought a guitar and put it in my hands. And I could remember, I could remember how to make chords. So I knew that, um, that I hadn't lost that because that's a, that's a different part of the brain, you know, um, than the language parts. So that was really amazing. That was a really lucky thing because, you know, a lot of people who have strokes um, like Dave Davis of the, of the kinks, you know, he had to learn how to play guitar totally from scratch, from scratch again, you know? So I didn't have to do that because I could remember how to play the chords and everything. I mean, it, 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 my motor function wasn't as good, but, um, but luckily, it's mostly on my right side that um, that is still not so good. Um, but my left hand, which is where I finger the chords and finger the the notes on the guitar, works pretty pretty well. So so that was good. But um, but yeah, when anyway, I I wanted to start playing music, and a lot of the guys in the minus five, <clears throat> Peter and um, my other friends, were like let's um we can we can come over and get together at your house and we can start trying to play songs and we did and eventually 
<clears throat> like, you know, five months later, um, there's a little club in Portland called the Laurel Thirst that's um, that has these kind of free afternoon shows, like six o'clock to eight o'clock in the evening. And they're free shows. And so we decided to to book a month of those um, like every Wednesday or Thursday uh, um, for the month of April. And um, we called them the therapy sessions for me. And everybody knew that, you know, that I, what had happened to me and everything. So they were very understanding <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, but yeah, I, I started off with playing uh, Beatles and Neil Young songs and some minus five songs because those were the songs that I knew the best that I, I had a chance of remembering because like I couldn't I couldn't remember any words anymore you know I used to be able to sing 200 songs at any at any given time you know but there's those were all gone I couldn't I couldn't think of the words to one song you know my, my brain was completely wiped <laughs> clean of that so but I discovered as we played the songs and we learned and practiced them that some of them would start to come back a little bit, you know, like I remember, I remember one of the, um, at the, at the therapy sessions, I used a music stand because I, I couldn't remember any words, but um, I remember one time we, uh, I, I remember I was thinking Roller Beethoven and I remember the whole first verse of Roller Beethoven came to my head, came to my brain. So I was like, I felt like, wow, it's, it's, it's coming back. It, it can happen, you know? I can, I can get some of these songs back. Thanks, Scott, for sharing those stories. He's got a lot of projects coming down the pike, including a record with Peter Buck and Luke Haynes, a second record from The No Ones, which is another project he does with Peter. And I'll have a bunch of stuff on Bandcamp this week, including his Sad Box CD and his 66th birthday LP titled Scott the Hoople Stereo 66. Remember, Bandcamp gives all the proceeds to the artist on the first Friday of the month, so it's a good time to check out his current work. I'll have a link in the show notes. Now, onward with some of Scott's recommendations. Well, the, the, the biggest thing that I'm sure anybody would tell you right now is the Get Back documentaries, the Beatles, um, the Peter Jackson, you know, do documentaries. Get Back is like the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> it, for people who, who are bidden in bands and, and lived their life recording music and writing songs and stuff like that, it's just... Um, it's just such an amazing thing to see. And, you know, of course, I'd seen Let It Be, the movie before, and I'd seen even bootlegs of lots of outtakes. And I've heard, I've, I've got bootleg albums of tons and tons of stuff from the sessions. But seeing it all in like the eight or nine hours or however long it is um, that Peter Jackson put it together, it's just so incredible. It's so honest and it's so, it just kind of really encapsulate, encapsulates what it's like to be a musician and be a band and to watch it being the greatest band of all time <laughs> and, and and being in that rooms those rooms with them it's just it's just such an incredible thing and so inspiring so so that's uh that's one <laughs> um what else uh oh the other another thing that's been great in recent years is neil young arc neil young archives that's his website um, and I'm a member member of that you pay 20 bucks a year and you can have access to all his music and really 
high quality versions of it and 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 all this extra music you know that's unreleased and and all these films and everything so that's that's a constant for me whenever i'm like if i'm you know riding on an exercise bike or whatever you know i'm i'm watching Neil Young videos or listening to his music pretty much. <laughs> and that was partly, you know, I, I also did a, when a, the pandemic started, one of the things I did was I made a, a tribute album to Neil Young uh, for his 75th birthday. So I put out a, a double album of, of me doing Neil Young songs. And uh, so that, that was a really, really cool experience. And uh I've gotten really, really into uh, the poetry of Anne Sexton, um, who is a, a poet in the you know fifties into the early seventies, um, and she she died. Um, I read her, I read a biography about her, and at the same time read her complete a book of her complete poems, and um, those were really, really fascinating for me and um, got me kind of forcing myself to write poems just just also as part of the part of the process of trying to make my brain work you know like it like it did before where it could access words it doesn't but but it's really helpful so um so i i i i really really into into Anne sexton and you know and sylvia plath too of course who i've always been into but um um her her poems are amazing uh, too as well. And, and it's because of, because of getting to both of them, I've been going into other, other poetry too, which is, um, which is um, been, been awesome. And um, the Tweety show is another thing that's been great the last couple of years. It's, it's sadly because it's, I don't know if you know about the Tweety show, but it's, um, it's Jeff Tweety and his sons and his wife, um, Sue, and they, they do a little, they welcome you to their living room. Um, they were doing it when the pandemic started as a way to to create a community of people who are stuck in their houses, you know? And it's it's really an amazing thing they did because it's like they, they play songs and just talk and sit around in their pajamas. And um, it's, it's really, it's like, you know, a thousand people kind of tune in typically on any given night. And they were doing it almost every night for a long time when the when the pandemic first started then they kind of slowed down and now they still do it once or twice a week uh typically but it's it's just a real it's a real community and it's like it feels like you're hanging out with them in their in their living room you know it's a really beautiful thing i mean it's kind of a brave thing to do too because you know he's he's a pretty popular guy and it's like to 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 show you know to share your life like that um is really personal and really uh, amazing. So I'm very appreciative of, of, the, of the Tweety show. And the other thing that I got into over the last couple of years is this uh, Bandcamp thing. I always knew Bandcamp was there, but I just kind of ignored it because I just like, I was like, why would I want to put out digital music when I could put out records, you know, <laughs> and CDs and stuff because I'm old school. You know, I still like to hold a product in my hand. Um, and and put it on a record and record player and stuff like that. But but you know when I, when I when the pandemic first started, I thought, well, 
you know, people were talking about Bandcamp and Bandcamp was doing this thing. They started doing this thing immediately where they said the first Friday of each month will be a free day where you can put up your music and, and uh, sell it or give it away free or whatever. Um, and they, they wouldn't, if you were selling it, they wouldn't take any percentage because they usually take 10% of anything you sell on the, the website. So I was like, well, that's a cool thing. And, and I thought, maybe I should just make a record and put it out on Bandcamp on the first Friday. So I had like two weeks until the, the first Friday, which was May 1st in 2020. So I, I recorded a whole album in, in two weeks. So it gave me a deadline, gave me something to work on, you know, and something to take my mind off the fact that I didn't know when we were ever going to be able to play music live again or get together with people and record in the studio or anything. So I just um, banged out uh, a bunch of songs. Some of them were brand new. Some of the ones that I had lying around, but um, but I I really just worked kind of day morning to night every day for two weeks. And I I had a couple friends put drums on them from long distance. You know, I'd send takes to, and uh, so I put out this record called Sad Box and other hits. <clears throat> and um, you know, I just did it just kind of really just to to do it just to see if I could do it. And, um, and it was really, really amazing. And I got this great reaction from Bandcamp and, you know, and, it, and, you know, actually was a way of getting income too during, during, you know, the, the years of not playing. And um, so I continued doing that and did a couple more, two more albums uh, in 2020. So I, so it made me really productive, you know, it made me feel productive and made me um, interact with people and, and let people know what was happening and, uh, and, and have a, have still have a voice, you know, be able to way to put out music, which I guess I know a lot of people have been doing that forever and ever people have been putting up music on the internet and, and just, but I hadn't really done that because I guess I'm too stick in the stick in the old school, you know, or something, but so now I'm now I'm I, I really like this this whole Bandcamp thing and uh, you know I still after putting out all these three rec records in digital form I still thought well it'd be nice to have vinyl of them so I still I still making vinyl of some of them and CDs of of them but um, but you know it's it's not a necessary thing you know it can, you, people can just listen to the music they don't even have to buy it they can just listen to it on Bandcamp anyway so. It's a it's a it's a really cool thing. So I mean, I'm not I'm not uh, telling anybody something that they haven't heard about before. But for me, I will admit that it was kind of a new thing for me. It was really it's it's really exciting. That's it for today's episode. Please be sure to also check out my book, Live Through That, available everywhere now for more stories and photos. And remember, you can get 15% off using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link on the podcast page. And if you like this show, subscribe so you'll know when the next episode comes out. Until next time, thank you for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 